0: as we um, take this up. Now last week we had looked at. From this section of scripture. At false followers. And we had seen how Simon. For all intents and purposes. Like so many others. Would have looked to the naked eye. Like someone who had been converted. There had been some verbal expression. There had been some group participation. There had even been baptism. But the. His heart was later revealed, much like we saw the the stones or the seeds that were planted both on uh, thorny ground and the rocky ground. They continue only for a time. And we see that the declaration is that he's still in the gall of bitterness. And that tremendous warning that goes out to all that until and unless by the grace of God, We have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. A momentary emotional experience is not enough. That real union with Christ. Apart from him you can do nothing. But we also saw that in in John chapter 15. When you are united to him. When you abide in him. You will bear much fruit. And so prove to be. His disciples, And so we, as this unfolds, we've seen that, but also kind of caught into this that led to his confusion was something that happened in this passage that happens somewhat only here. Something similar happens in Acts chapter 19, but somewhat only here. And we want to try to understand how this happens, why this happens and how it unfolds. Now, I want us to remember this. The scriptures are very clear about who God is and what his purposes are. We do remember under the old covenant of the Old Testament that God had marked out the people of Israel to be his covenant people. When Jesus had come, he even said these words to his 12 in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and following. These 12, Jesus sent out. With the following instructions. Go nowhere. Among the Gentiles. And enter no town. Of the Samaritans. Go only to the lost sheep. Of the house of Israel. And proclaim to them. The kingdom of God is at hand. Okay. So that's what Jesus had told to them. During his earthly ministry. We do remember though. After they have not only continued their rebellion and rejection against the law of God. But in the ultimate breach of the covenant. When they rejected the promised Messiah who was sent. Who performed for them all of the prophesied messianic prophecies. Proving he was the Messiah, the Christ. They still rejected him. And not only rejected him, not only decried him, not only spoke against him, but crucified him in anger, in bitterness, in hatred and malice. And yet Christ gave himself up on the cross for many of them. But when he rose again, he, he was going to establish in himself a new people. Who aren't established by the blood of the old covenant, where blood was spread onto Hyssop, and it was spread onto the tablets of the law, and it was spread on to the priests, and it was spread on to the people, and they were in some way sanctified, consecrated by blood, set apart unto God. But as Hebrews, which many of you reading the McShanes have been reading through, Christ would come and we'd be sprinkled with a better blood. Not literally, thank you, but Jesus, it would no longer be that representative blood of the old covenant and that representative people that were that were God's people yet still trapped in their sin for the most part. But now he would be our God. We would be his people. He would put his spirit within us and write his laws on our mind and upon our heart. I mean, a glorious new covenant with a better mediator and better promises and a better hope. Amen. And so this is what is going on. We are in that age of transition. And it's a peculiar age because uh, even as you're reading through the scriptures, you've got those things happening. The old covenant is obsolete and is vanishing, is passing away. But for a brief while, there was still overlap. You had the New Testament church. And the New Testament church in the following year when they go gather together in Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast, they take a Passover lamb and they participate in all the ways that they normally did. Even towards the end of the book of Acts, which we'll see, some of the believers when when Paul comes and he's talking to James, some of the believers are going under a vow which was a common Jewish pattern, usually a a seasonal Nazarite commitment. And he urges Paul to also get involved in that and to pay for theirs. And so there's a lot of overlap uh, of the old and of the new that's going on through this age of, of transition. Now, remember, when Jesus rose from the dead, he then came to his disciples. And unlike what he had said In his incarnation. Now that he is risen from the dead. What does he say? We remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we remember well. uh, the, The great commission passage. Go into. Go make disciples of. All nations. Baptizing them. You will receive power from on high. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. To the uttermost part of the earth. So. The progress is on what had been bound and limited to an old covenant people is now expanded in an extraordinary manner. And and the, the people of God are a far more glorious people because we're not simply a people who are yoked to the law which even the forefathers could not bear. We are those who are weary and heavy laden and we come to Christ and we are yoked to him and his burden is light and easy to bear. And it is a wonderfully blessed circumstance. But here you have it. Remember, so Jesus had said, it's going to go. We also have seen already so many of the messianic prophecies speak about how this this Messiah, this message, this good news—how beautiful are his feet—will be proclaimed in the hills, in the valleys, in the plains. In the coastlands. That it will go far and wide. That the peoples of the earth. The nations of the earth. Let the nations be glad. Let the nations praise him. And we see that there is a more global purpose. Where from every tongue, tribe and nation. God is going to bring to himself. Purchased by Christ. A people. For his own possession. We see that. But there is a lot of baggage built up in the history of Jewish ethnocentrism. Their their commitment to themselves, their, their view of themselves alone as the people of God. Remember, such strong views to where they would look at Samaritans. And when Jesus would use a Samaritan as the good one. Who helped the person in need. That's a hard one because he's a Samaritan. They, they often considered those who were not themselves, but those who were mixed under derogatory terms with animal references. Dogs. And so there was, there, there was almost this sense which which instead of clean and unclean. It was way stronger in their mind. Human and dirty beast. And and, and this becomes quite strong. But then Jesus says, no. And we're going to see as we get to chapter 10. God is going to bring down in front of, of Peter. All of these animals of which are unclean. And tell him rise, kill and eat. He's like. I've never defiled myself with anything that is unclean. And he tells him something that needs to lock. Do not call unclean what the Lord has called clean. And that's, that's a process that they're having to figure out. God had told them that. And we had already seen in the earlier part of, of, of this book, people had gone out. They began going out as the oppression Saul, who we later call Paul, begins a persecution against the church. They go out. But it says, as they went out, they spoke the gospel to no one except the Jews. And then it goes on to later talk about how, but some in Antioch went beyond that. And so there's still this process of trying to get over things. And here in this passage, what we're going to see and is absolutely crucial is what I will refer to as apostolic attestation. Remember also, Jesus had said these words to the apostles. And it's very important because these words carry with them what we might call rabbinic language. The language of the rabbis. He, he tells them things like this. First to Peter and then to the rest of them. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You remember those, those words? And whatever you bind on earth will be having been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be having been loosed in heaven. Now most of your translations don't say it that way. But I'm, I'm giving you A more clear rendering of the complex Greek of that passage. But listen. That was important. Because remember. There was the law very clearly established. But then we know that there were more than 636 or so laws. That the rabbis had articulated out in detail. That people had to follow. Because what they would look at is certain practices. That may not be articulated in the law. And they'd add to it. One of those, for example, is a problem that the apostles of Jesus faced, as maybe your children have at times. Why are they eating without washing their hands? You know, they're breaking the traditions of the elders. Now, was that a a binding law given from Sinai and given through Moses? Well, no, it wasn't. But what happened? As we consider cleanness and as we consider washings, you know what would also seem reasonable to do this. And so they add and, and, and a number of other such laws and practices they began to add. And in the mind of the Jews, the rabbis who were the well-learned and wise ones, they could bind things. Which meant prohibit. You can't do this anymore. And they could lose things. Oh, that's permitted. That's acceptable. So the rabbis had that permission into that. Now come the apostles. Now. Actually, the rabbis really never had that authority given to them by God to make their own laws and their own rules. But now moving forward, the the apostles are going to be able to tell the children of God, look, you don't need to go to the temple. You're not going to need to sacrifice goats and lambs and rams. You're not going to need to continue to follow these dietary practices. You don't have to commit yourself to one day above another or another day. You don't have to do all of these things that were the pattern before. Now, who would have the right to do that? Well, apart from God, no one. But Jesus had established that these Changes. Remember again it says in the book of Hebrews. Whenever there's a change in the high priest. There is necessarily a change of law. Well how are we going to know what that is? Well it's going to be established by the apostles. Now here is, here's part of the challenge. How ready do you think the Jews. And possibly even the apostles themselves. Are going to be ready to accept Samaritans as equal, heirs and joint heirs with them in Christ. Brothers, sisters, possibly elders and leaders. How ready would that be? That would be a very, very difficult stretch for them. Because in their mind, that's that's not the way that it works. You all probably remember Jesus began, though he didn't let the apostles do it. Jesus began this work in his own ministry because we remember he met a Samaritan woman at the well, didn't he? Because he was already preparing for what he was going to do. Were his apostles remarkably thrilled when they saw him sharing the gospel and Meeting with this woman and then staying even for a time to share with others. They kind of wanted it done and dusted. Let's close this down and and, and move on. Closing him. And they just wanted it over as quick as possible. But Jesus had a purpose. Now, as so often was the case, it seems the apostles witnessed that but didn't really get that. Because we still remember that when the others went out, when the persecution, others went out. But the apostles remained in Jerusalem. Here, Philip has gone and he's preached the gospel to Samaritans. They have heard it. They have believed it. They have repented. They have been baptized. Now, here's the question. Second tier proselytes you do remember and and this is gonna make you a little uncomfortable but it is what it is in the old covenant temple those who were proselytes there was a certain court that they were allowed to enter but that was it and there was a women's court and there was a men's court and then there was a place that only the Levites could enter and then place only the Priest and high priest could enter. And so everything came in layers. Well, with, with Christ on the cross and the rending of the veil, all of a sudden, it's done. And what he's gonna begin to do is say this you're keeping you're keeping women here and men there. No, there is no difference with relation to God between male and fem- female. No, 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 you, you, you keep the proselyte Jews at bay, uh, the proselyte Gentiles at bay, they can participate in the festival, but, but not as close as you can get. You're the near and they still remain to some degree the far off. No, now there's no Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, slave, free. All are one in Christ, right? So this is, this is what's happening but it's going to be a difficult thing, not only for the themselves, the apostles to wrap their minds around and the early church, but even harder for those who are the, the Judaistic believers, still rooted strongly in the law, still wanting to see a, a, a clear order of descent. And when that's all done and we are all, we recognize that we are all under sin. That ultimately we were all far off until we were brought near by the blood of Christ. When, we, when that picture is there, it just blasts everything. And so what God has purposed to do here is bring these apostles down who had the kings, keys of the kingdom. That they would come to this first group of non-Jews. And through their presence and in their witness... They would receive the very same spirit that was poured out on them on the day of Pentecost. It would, be, it would be set forth that God is making no distinction between the apostles with regard to faith, salvation, all of the Jews, and now also the Samaritans. So we see this. They... They had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to note this. Remember this. Uh, John 14, 17 says this. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. But will be in you. And so you're ready for this whole new covenant transition. That's going to involve. It's going to involve. The indwelling. Presence of the spirit of God, not 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 only special anointings, the spirit rushed upon. You remember, you read that a number of times in the book of Judges regarding Samson, maybe regarding uh, King Saul, the, the spirit would rush upon him, rush upon him, rush upon him multiple times. But there wasn't the, the, the same kind of indwelling that we have now. The Spirit would come and he would be the one who regenerated and granted faith. The Spirit would be the one who would still come and he would would grant inspiration of sorts to the prophets and to the psalmists. But they did not have the same way we do, which is partly why David could say in Psalm 51, something we really don't ever say. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Do we say that? He knew he he was blessed to receive regular refreshing endowments of the spirit upon which he wrote so many psalms. But we, under the new covenant, are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. It's done. It's locked. And so in this transition, there's a lot that's going on. And so the apostles themselves are going to be present. And as they are the eyewitnesses also of Christ, they are going to be the eyewitnesses of the same salvation granted to the Samaritans. And then also Peter, together with some other Jews, Peter, and apostle, will be eyewitnesses to the same salvation given to the Gentiles. So that the apostles continue with their apostolic authority of attestation, God has equally accepted these men hence the delay also important to note here the holy spirit was given on through the laying on of hands of the apostles not anyone else nowhere else in scripture does that ever happen there's one other place where with the laying on of hands the spirit seems to have been given that's acts chapter 19 and that is again the apostle paul so it is an apostolic laying on of hands not outside of that but I want us to begin to, uh, to not miss this. Let me read a section for you. To just try to get this in our minds. It's out of Ephesians chapter 2. But now. In Christ Jesus. I, I'm emphasizing the words I am for a reason. It, this is the change. This is now where we're at. Because our covenant is in him. It's in his blood. In Christ Jesus. You who were once far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean that's what the Gentiles. The Ephesians would have considered themselves. Far off. But now. Not at all. It is the blood of Christ that avails. 14. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one. And broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility. This dividing wall that existed. And we know it's a, there's a sense in which. This dividing wall was between the Jews. And everyone else. Which included the Samaritans. A uniquely despised people by the Jews. God has broken down. This dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments. Expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself. One new man. In the place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both. To God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came. And preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Again in that context what? Peace to those who were not Jews. And peace to those who were Jews. The grounds of peace. The grounds of hope the grounds of salvation, the grounds of forgiveness. Is it different? It's the same for those far off and near. It's the same for the Jew and the Gentile. It's Christ. And he goes on. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God, listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This phrase there, the apostles and prophets, that word and should just be a hyphen there. The apostolic prophet, the prophetic apostles built on that foundation. They're the ones who testify to the message. We remember, and you read this, Jesus prayed in John 17, not only for the apostles who he gave the word to and that he kept, but also those who would believe through their word. Isn't it right? They form the foundation. They're the ones who are going to be the ones who declare the gospel. They deliver the faith once for all to the saints. The doctrine that's to be believed. And they're also the ones who by the authority of the spirit. Are going to declare who is included. And who is excluded. And the single definitive reason. Why someone is either in ...or out. And what is that? It's our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all in Him. But it's built on that foundation. And when we see this, it's important to to grasp that. In Galatians 3, verse 26 and following, it says, "...for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God." I mean, for a moment, you got to sit back and say, all right, you really want to keep boasting about the whole sons of Abraham thing? Listen, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You really want to be a son of Abraham only. (laughs) You want to be not just a son of Abraham, but a son of God, right? And again, it's uh, going to open that up to us. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ's. And if you are Christ's. You are what? You are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Wow. So then who are Abraham's offspring? Those in Christ. God's sons. And so you realize. Wait a second. It's both of those things. We are Heirs of those glorious promises, fellow citizens in this purpose of God. And many of those who thought they could trust in their flesh for citizenship or inclusion in the household, find out it is not in your flesh. It depends on your faith. Those who have faith in Christ. So that's why it says in Colossians 3, 11, Here there is no Greek, not or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all in all. And so what these men would do is they would come down here and they would pray and they would be eyewitnesses. These men have received the same word that we preached. These men have believed it. These men have professed it in repentance and professing. They've been baptized, identifying with Christ. And more than that, they have received the same spirit that we received. Now, remember this. When did the apostles believe? Hard to know. I see you working through it. Well, maybe different times for different ones. Now, when they believed... Did they receive the promised Holy Spirit immediately? No. Jesus, after resurrection, would, would breathe on them, and they would receive the Spirit seemingly again momentarily, because then he would explain to them, but then he says, wait until you receive power from on high. Correct? Now, while they, as well as the 120, were gathering together for prayer in Jerusalem, waiting for the Spirit to be poured out, Were they already believers? Had they they already repented? Had they already believed? Had they already in some sense been baptized? And the answer was, yeah, they all had. But had they received the Spirit? Not yet. Because we are talking about this curious age of transition between the covenants. Where they would receive it a bit later than the day of their salvation. Here also in Samaria, they would receive the Spirit like the apostles did a bit later than the day of their salvation. In order that the apostles would attest to their absolute full inclusion among the people of God. So I want us to, uh, to see how, how wonderful this is. It, actually, Jesus in speaking to the Samaritan woman in John 4 23 says this the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is spe- seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is spirit, and those who worship Him will worship in spirit and truth. So, again, be careful if you ever meet somebody who tries to divide spirit and truth. Or who tries to divide grace and truth? You don't divide things that are indivisible. Spirit and truth. This is the design. This is the plan. And this is how it's going to unfold. It was told on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did many repent and were baptized and what received the promised gift of the spirit here there in the presence of the apostles. Now, again, we come and and I want to note this. So initially. In Acts chapter two, we see that they received the spirit. Immediately. After faith and Baptism. No mention of the laying on of hands. All right. In Acts chapter 2. No mention of the laying on of hands. Now look with me if you would in Acts chapter 11. We got to put a few pieces together to get this. So I've told you right now. Our passage today deals with the Samaritans. We're also going to jump forward to the first inclusion of the Gentiles. And it says this. As I'm in uh, 11 well verse 9 of course I mentioned earlier but the voice answered a second time from heaven what God has made clean do not call common or unclean Acts 11:15 to 18 says this as I began to speak the holy spirit fell on them just as on at us at the beginning And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so what did they say when they heard these things, they fell silent and said, what? Then God Then to the Gentiles also God has granted the repentance that leads to life. I mean, they're astounded by this. But what I want us to see is a few different things. On the day of Pentecost, they had believed and been baptized. And they received the Holy Spirit. No mention of the laying on of hands. In Acts chapter 8, where we are now. They believed and were baptized. Then the apostles came and they received with the laying on of hands. In Acts chapter 11, they what? Believed repenting and received the Holy Spirit, then were baptized and there was no laying on of hands. So if you're trying to figure out how are we are gonna get it done? It isn't gonna work because each of the narratives are different so that you don't lock into your favorite one. But let me tell you this, you're gonna meet somebody somewhere who's gonna lock into their favorite one. And usually their favorite one is, I give it through the laying on of hands. Because, but what you do see is, Acts two without the laying on of hands. Acts eight with the laying on of hands, but after baptism. Acts chapter 11, 10 and 11 really, before baptism and without the laying on of hands so that we sit back and say, well, this must be God's work. Amen. And so with this during this age of transition, it is distinctive so that there was an apostolic witness on the day. Uh, of Pentecost, an apostolic witness as the as the uh, acceptance was declared by God regarding the Samaritans, an apostolic witness as it also went to the Gentiles, so that the foundation established by the apostles is firmly including all peoples and all nations. Okay, so is it, so sometimes, well, why would they do it like that? Maybe we should. No, we shouldn't because we are not apostles. And so, but what about now? What should we expect today? Moving out forward, out of the age of transition and getting into, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have Paul stating what he declares to be the, I might say, the confident expectation of experience moving forward. Now that we are coming out of that age of necessary apostolic attestation in the transition i know these are big words and i'm sorry for that i hope i'm being clear first corinthians 12 verse 13 says for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and we're all made to drink of one spirit so what is his expectation moving forward for the New Testament believer, their general ordinary exp- expectation would be this. In the day that I hear the gospel with faith, I repent, receive baptism, and drink of the Spirit. It was all going to be on a given day. Now that's messy for us today too, isn't it? Because how many of us were baptized On the day that we responded to the gospel in faith and repentance. It wasn't my experience. Not yours. But as we read through the New Testament. Don't we see it time and time and time again? On the day of Pentecost. Even it seems to place here in Samaria. He did not wait for the apostles to come to give them baptism. And so... uh, The the whole experience was caught up in one hole. And that's what they would expect. And that's why Jesus said in John 7 verse 39. Now he said this about the spirit. Whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is explaining that when, when all is done. And the transition is totally, uh, uh, totally taken place. This is how you can expect it to happen. Much more like you saw at the household of Cornelius. When they believe. They will receive the spirit. It says this also in, in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 2 and 3. He asks them a simple question. He starts like this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? So is he expecting that the spirit is given through baptism? Moving forward out of the age of transition? No, the spirit's not conveyed in baptism. Is he expecting the spirit comes through the laying on of hands? No, the ordinary experience of believers in the new covenant age is going to be what? We receive the Spirit when we believe by the grace of faith at work within us. Amen? So that, uh, it's important for us to put those pieces together as we move forward uh, on, on a progress and not miss that moving forward. So now, that done. We've seen apostolic attestation. And we see a little bit step more than apostolic attestation. Because till this time, the apostles had stayed semi-locked in Jerusalem. They did journey there when they heard some were saved. But I love what it says in verse 25. Listen. Now, when they had testified. Now, this is interesting because it could be simply uh, when they had Uh, Attested or solemnly declared. It it could be a simple reference. To the inclusion of the Samaritans. Within the people of God. But they didn't only go there. To to recognize that. And testify to that. They did more. What else did they do? They spoke the word of the Lord. I love that. And listen more. They returned to Jerusalem. Preaching the gospel. To many villages of the Samaritans this is beautiful because you know what it means they got it they're finally starting to get it they who hadn't gone now while they're out not only did they see the spirit fall but they're convinced of God's full acceptance of the Samaritans in the gospel so that as they go what do they do now, our translations say preach the gospel. There's no specific word there for preach. It could simply say announce the gospel, proclaim the good news. It's, or uh, while they went, they were evangelizing. So don't, don't step back for a moment and think, oh, yep, yeah. gospelizing, evangelism, that's preaching. That's, that's for professional men's. No, 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 no. This is the declaring of the good news in Christ Jesus. It is for all of us who have been blessed recipients of that good news. They went and announced it to many Samaritan villages. But now we move on from what I could say the apostolic attestation, the spread in Samaria to the Ethiopian evangelism. Look what it says in chapter Uh, 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Rise and go to the south. To the road that uh, goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And it says in the 827. He rose and went. Now again people get a little caught up. And says aha. Angels were talking to him. Uh, I want angels talking to me. Or. Maybe they meet somebody who says. Yeah. Angels do talk to me. Yeah they tell me what to do. Um, Be careful when you hear voices telling you what to do. Just be careful about that. But more than that, I want you to notice this. Did this angel deliver to him any doctrine? Did he deliver to him a new message, a new teaching? No. Angels are not the deliverers of doctrine. It was once for all delivered to the saints. Christ has spoken. So if somebody says, hey, an angel met me and he told me, you're not going to find this in your Bibles, but then what do you do? Yeah, you act like a little child and stick your fingers in your ears and go la, 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 Because you don't want to hear a word that that angel supposedly says or the person who claims it. Because an angel does not tell you, declare to you truth. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. All the angel did was say, go down to that road. And he went down to that road. And, and he did because there was a divine appointment that day. I love that. It's similar to, in my mind to the divine appointment on the day that Zacchaeus is on that road. Jesus comes Into Jericho, down that road, walks right up to that tree. Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. For salvation has come to his house. Here, he was trying to see Jesus, but Jesus came to see him, called him by name. It was his day of deliverance. Today is the day of deliverance in Acts 8 for the Ethiopians. He was a proselyte of sorts. He had come again to observe most likely uh, a subsequent Pentecost there in Jerusalem. And he's headed back and Philip comes out. And we see the example of this, this proselyte. It is not enough to be a devout Jew. There is not, there is no salvation apart from Christ. He's the only one. It's the only name. Hope must rest in him. And we see he was an influential man in the, in the court of uh, Candace the queen. And the spirit tells him, go over to the chariot. And he goes. Tells us in verse 30. He hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, what? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and up and sit with him. Now, what happens, we see a preacher in a passage. It says this. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. It's Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom... I ask, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I tell you, this has to always be our priority in conversations with people. Wherever it starts, the goal is to get to Jesus as soon as possible. We don't need to to tell them, well, Isaiah lived from this year to this year, and he prophesied to this king and to that king, and he was... I mean, fun, but there's no salvation in that. And later, it can be helpful as we learn other things from the scriptures through studying. But when there's an opportunity, there's only so much... um, Intelligent design, creation versus evolution, all those kinds of things. You could end up arguing the rationality of things until you're blue in the face. But you know what? Giving mental assent that there's the outside intelligible possibility that there's a designer does not save anyone. And I will tell you this, if God is pleased by the power of the spirit through the seemingly foolish preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to open their eyes to see the glory and truth of it, it's going to be very easy to explain to them creation. (laughs) It's going to be very easy to explain the truth of God's word to them following that. And it's now something where they won't simply give a nod to. They'll fall on their knees and say, great is the God of creation. Oh, the God of my salvation. Won't they? And so we want to get to Christ as soon as possible. Whenever we're dealing with unbelievers, which is why Paul to the unbeliever says, I consider myself to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I'm not going to get into a detailed debate about the doctrine of reprobation with an unbeliever. It doesn't do any good. They're not going to understand election. It, it, it doesn't. It's, it's even you You've probably tried it. How easy is it to convince someone of the total depravity of man? You know, realistically, you feel like it's so easy. I show it to them, but you're showing it to them from what? The word. Well, I can get them to admit that everyone's made a mistake and everyone's done wrong. But will they acknowledge that having done wrong, they are depraved? No, they won't. Why? They're darkened in their understanding. They're deceived. So we want to get to Christ and get to him as quickly as possible. We want to make Christ known. As Jesus says in Luke 24 verse 25 and following, he said to them, "O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself throughout the scriptures, whatever, whatever book you will look in, you will find repeated pointers to the person of Christ over and over again. And it's wonderful to see that. Now, please note this. There is more in Scripture than only pointers to Christ. There's a multitude and and, and all of history culminates in the person of Christ. But we are reminded of important things like 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5 and 6 that says, Nevertheless, with most of them that God brought out of Israel, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as an example for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. So some passages are for our correction. Our instruction. Our training in righteousness. Our reproof. Right? Preach the word. It has a, a, a multifaceted and powerful and profound use. But even then, we might ask this. The training in righteousness. The ability to no longer desire evil. Can we do that on our own? No, the reality even in that is we know this. As Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Christ is by no means ever excluded. But we want to go beyond merely proclaiming Christ as well as pressing the powerful claims of Christ on the hearts of people who have pronounced themselves as his people. So we want to continue to glory in that. And we see that he, he then believes It says in verse uh, 36, and they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I do want to ask you this. Is there a lot of instruction about baptism in Isaiah 53, verse 7? No. See, what's happened is he has driven it home. And he's driving home the the picture of new birth, the picture of necessary cleansing, uh, uh, the the picture of washing, the picture of repentance. He's driving home these things by not simply. I, I, I sometimes maybe am convicted in my own experience about this. How many times will we have maybe preached the gospel to someone? We think. There's been no mention of baptism. There's no awareness on their part. That they ought be baptized. When Philip was done. He understood. That. I must believe these things. Which he surely did. And repent of these things. Which to some degree as a proselyte. He would have. Now resting in Christ. He wants that full identification. And what? Be baptized. What's to stop me from being baptized? Here's here's much water. And so what do they do? They go down. The day of his divine appointment was the day of his baptism. I just wanna back up a few seconds from that. We're almost done for today. But note this. Some people get a little caught up in things. They say, listen, you're gonna have to wait till we can organize a special meeting where everybody can be there. Uh, How many uh, people were there to witness this one? Not many. And so, is it necessary that people, we, we turn it in, it is a public profession. Is it a public? Well, I mean, it's not that they went into a cave necessarily here. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a show for other people. When it's done in, other, in front of others, it certainly has a significance. But we've got to work through the process. The greatest significance that it has, and here is that this Individual Ethiopian. Would understand. This is the day of my salvation. Now I ask you. Does he here. uh, Have the laying on of hands of an apostle. No. None of that. But I guarantee you this. He's going to receive the spirit of God. How do I know that? Because Jesus promised the spirit will be given. To those who believe. And so. We end up being forced to a quick conclusion here. By seeing there were additional appointments because when he came up out of the water, Philip had disappeared. His, the man baptizing him simply disappeared. And how awkward it would have had to be even for Philip. He's coming out of the water and next thing you know, he's at the seaside. Huh. Well, when Philip went down to Samaria, what did he know he was supposed to be doing? Preaching the gospel. When he was sent out to the, to the desert road, what was he supposed to be doing? So when he finds himself miraculously on the coastland, what does he realize? I guess I know where I'm supposed to be preaching today. Because this is where God has put me. So now you may have never had an angel tell you to go there. You may have never disappeared and showed up somewhere else. But somewhere at some time, you found yourself somewhere. And where you are, there are people who need to hear the gospel. And that's why we are here to glorify God, to proclaim His good news, to encourage one another and love one another. Simple things in this passage apostolic attestation, the spreading of uh, uh, the gospel in Samaria, the Ethiopian evangelism, where there's a divine appointment, a passage, and a preacher. And a believer who is baptized. And in additional appointments. The evangelism is beginning to spread. As God is doing his work. And it didn't matter if you were an Ethiopian eunuch. Because if you do remember. Under the old covenant. A eunuch was even another special case. Where he wouldn't be able to participate. In certain ways in, in, in the temple. And so all of these things. God is just showing look. Look. My grace includes people from every tongue, tribe, language, and people. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. All who come to me, I will never cast out. But unless you come through me, there is no other way. There is no other salvation. There is no other peace. There is no other lamb. ...of God that was slain for the sins of the world. And it is because of that lamb, because of his blood, regardless of our background, that we come together as one people. Abraham's offspring, God's children, to partake of this, which again symbolizes what? Members of one body reconciled through the blood of Christ clothed in his righteousness and his perfection. So let's pray and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together.